Welcome to week seven of the NPH Hour here on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I'm your host, Jason Tom, here once again to bring you three interviews with people making an impact in the world of Canadian basketball, walking their own path while also pushing the sport forward here at home. The NBA regular season is wrapped up. The Raptors are now fully in revamp or reload mode, but things are just starting up for our Canadian national program on so many different levels. Last week, we talked about 3x3 making its Olympic debut with Canada hoping to qualify. The under-19 men's and women's programs will be competing in the World Cup in about a month and a half. And a little later on the show, we have a member of the men's team that won gold in that same event four years ago in a truly historic victory for our country. But first up on the senior side for Canada basketball is the women's team who are preparing for the AmeriCup, which runs June 11th through 19th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Now, this event is a qualifier for the 2022 World Cup of basketball with the top three teams earning a berth. It also acts as a great opportunity for Team Canada to get back onto the floor for the first time since February of 2020 when they qualified for their third straight Olympic Games. The Canadian women's national team is ranked fourth in the world, but the climb to Olympic medal contender has been a long one, with many players involved in the process for the last decade plus, which includes two-time Olympian Tamara Tatum whose playing days have come to an end and was recently announced as the new head coach at the University of Toronto. Tatum is just the most recent example of a transition in the coaching ranks across Canada at the U-sport level. The coaches are younger. They're former players. They come from varied backgrounds and cultures that reflect those that play the game. It all adds up to a win for basketball in Canada and for the players aspiring to make a career out of the sport. That they love. Tamara Tatum recently announced as the head coach of the University of Toronto Varsity Blues women's basketball program. Coach, congratulations on the next step in your basketball career. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to get started. So you worked your way from an assistant starting back in 2017. Then you were named the interim head coach about a year ago in preparation for Michelle Belanger's retirement after 41 years as a head coach in women's basketball in Canada. How did learning from her prepare you for the role heading into next season? But having said that, you get the curveball of a pandemic thrown at you. Absolutely, that curveball <laughs> took every coach by storm. Um, but Learning from her, I mean, I learned how to use my voice on the court, really. Uh, I, I came in as a player, right? I knew what to do, how to do it, um, but the next step was really how to teach it. Uh, so she helped, she helped me a lot in that aspect, and she really gave me a lot of responsibility, responsibility and that really helped excel me as a coach. Um, I would say I, I learned a lot from all my coaches that I've been around whether I've coached with or played with or uh, played for um, it's really taught me so many different aspects to getting prepared for this next level whether it's practice planning flow of practice timing of the year to do things game situations um, things like that nature you've been a part or you are a part 
of the history of women's coaching basketball history here in Canada. The first Canadian female named to a coaching staff of a North American professional men's basketball team with the 905 a couple of years back. And that role has only been expanded on by the Raptors since then. And we see assistants in the NBA that are women as well. What does it mean for young girls to know that this is no longer historic, but it is just the way it is going forward? When I first saw it, I didn't know I was going to be the first <laughs> at uh, the first Canadian female to coach uh, men's pro basketball. Uh, but at the same time, I'm, I realized I was never going to be the last at the same in the same breath. So there wasn't that much pressure. Um, but it was something to see for other women and other young girls to get inspired by. And that inspiration is still taking place in the industry today by seeing more and more women in such power positions. Um, it's exciting. You see all these things on Instagram where, you know, parents have their little daughters looking up to these women watching the TV and it's so incredible to see and it's only going to get better and it's, going to become extremely normal one day and I can't wait for that you've always been a leader on your teams as a player uh, you played Finland Germany Australia H how much more challenging was it to find ways to lead in an environment where maybe not everyone even spoke the same language and is that when you realize that maybe you you did want to eventually get into coaching I would say I realized I wanted to get into coaching maybe my third year in Germany, uh, I realized I could be a coach at that time. I, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were in a game and normally the foreigners are the leaders of the team. The other athletes on the team look up to you, um, ask you questions. So it's very important to understand your audience, adapt to the situation, get out of your comfort zone. And I was very good at doing that in every country that I went to. And one of my players, our point guard at the time, we were going through a game. And after the game was over, I, I was very good at leading my team through games. She was just like, you know what, T? You're going to make a really good coach one day. Did you know that? I'm like, me? <laughs> <laughs> and I, it kind of stuck with me. I'll never forget it. Um, I realized I was making an, an impact on my, on my uh, teammates and that was something that was inspiring. And to do that as a coach is even more uh, rewarding. And what makes it more special to me is because the way that you've done it, because, you know, talking about the Canada women's basketball program, for example, you end up winning the gold medal at the Pan Am games here in Toronto back in 2015, back to back Olympics in 2012 and 2016. But I mean, it wasn't always that way. 2007 when you started I mean that was an open tryout right that, that you ended up getting that look so you know it, it's not like you were always destined for this you really had to work your way up in a program that was really being rebuilt at the same time wasn't it absolutely I'll, I'll never forget that open tryout at UTM <laughs> uh I got an opportunity and I ran with it. I had no idea I was making the senior team that year, like zero clue. There was no expectation. We built that program. We continued to build every single year. It wasn't pretty at the beginning. We were losing games by 25. We went from being ranked 25th in the country by the, when I started to now Canada is fourth in the world. When I left, we were fifth. So I can't see it 
getting much better than that. I, I hope one day we could be number one and let's see how the chips fall. How much will it mean to you to see that team compete in the Olympics, knowing that that was just building blocks that were started really mm-hmm. by, by you and your class? Yeah, it, it's, it means a ton. It means a ton. I want to see us get out there and get on that podium at the Olympics. That's the number one goal. That was our goal back in Rio. Um, we fell short and everything happens the way it should in some cases. Uh, but the team is very talented. The team is going in another direction. Lisa's doing a great job with the squad. So I'm excited to see us play, and it's going to mean everything to me to see us on that podium. You enjoyed a great career at UMass, but now as the head coach at a U-sports school, you're going to be recruiting young women who maybe have that option as well to go south. What is your pitch to them to stay at home in U-sports and, and, and hopefully at your school? Wow. Wow. Um, gotta give away all my secrets, eh? No, I'm <laughs> kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, U of T is the number one ranked school in Canada. It's 13th in the world. You get to play at home. You get to play in one of the most competitive uh, conferences in Canada. Um, and one of the toughest conferences in Canada. So getting a degree at home and playing the sport that you love um, is one of my biggest pitches when I speak to uh, the, our young athletes and their parents because there are other people in, involved in the decision-making process. Ultimately, it's the athlete, but um, it's nice to see that parents are taking a very uh, deep look with the athletes as well. So that's really my pitch. Um, getting an opportunity to play in Toronto, amazing city. Um, very multicultural, and you'll learn a lot about yourself being here in the city as well. And there's a new wave of coaches at the U sports level, men's and women's, right? They're younger, come from different backgrounds. They can relate to the kids playing the game today. I mean, your brother is coaching at McMaster, for example. So, you know, how does that help the game here in Canada? And then from a mental health perspective, advocacy standpoint I know that means a lot to you how important is it to be able to relate to these young players in order to ensure that they're growing both like as a player and as a person that's huge um my my big thing in coaching one of my biggest philosophies is really caring about person first, the student, and then the athlete, right? Those are the three major parts. And I wanna be able to develop our athletes holistically. Um, being, I guess, not that close in age, but fairly close in age, um, it helps. It helps with relating to them. It helps with knowing what they're going through. It helps, you know, with teaching and coaching them. Uh, I think that's huge when it comes to the mental health aspect of our athletes and the things that they need um, to feel successful and to one day know that they can be successful. I'm very big on that and using that passion that I've brought to the game to instill that on my athletes, it's huge. You, you, you're doing this for a reason. You came into U of T to create a legacy, 
that you're going to leave behind, but a legacy that you're going to take with you as well. And that's very, very big and important to me, especially coaching the younger generation. There is a whole group of young players right now that have been without the game for over a year. And what would your advice be to them um, facing this challenge that, you know, no generation really has ever faced people who love this game and have had it taken away. What would your advice be to them from, from, you know, keeping them up and keeping them ready to come back when we get there? Stay ready, right? You can always do something to stay ready. If you can't be in the gym, it could be the way you eat. It could, the way you pre- it could be the way you prepare your mind. It, there's so many things that go into the game of basketball that is not just about being on the court. All these things that you could be doing and studying the game, that there's, it, it's incredible the amount of things that I didn't even realize as a player um, that would be useful if I didn't have basketball, right? So take advantage of that um, and then be ready when you get back. What's delayed is, this is huge. What's delayed is not going to be denied. It's gonna come back. Um, and we just got to be ready when it gets here. Got to end this conversation by asking about Brampton in the the front driveway. Um, I hit up your bro, asked for a story, and he said it's just all about your competitiveness, <laughs> and said that he had to hold you back from getting into a fist fight with a friend of his over a block charge call that did not go your way. Do you do you remember the story oh. and do you still have that competitive fire? <laughs> and I want to just give a heads up to the future players being coached by Coach Tatum here of what they're getting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, honestly, I don't think I almost got into a fist fight. I think he may have gotten very upset that I <laughs> was winning. That might have been it. Um, I'm competitive. I am a competitive athlete I've always been that way since I was a kid uh I spent my I spent most of my life in Brampton we grew up before we got to Brampton in Scarborough and we had a hoop Mm. in our driveway in Scarborough and that's where I really fell in love with the game and that's where my competitive nature really started to rise I I wanted to be better than my younger sister and my older brother so (laughs) I did everything I could to be the best at this sport you know in anything that we did we are competitive by nature um so I think that drive that I always had as a kid really carried me through as a basketball player and you know I I didn't want to take any prisoners I always wanted to win whether it was against my sister my brother uh opponents and in some cases, I guess my brother's friend. So um, that's huge. That's huge. I have that same compete factor when it comes to coaching. Um, I love the sport. I love the game. And I can't wait to see how things kind of turn out with SAUT. That only speaks to great things coming forward for the UFT, for you sports, to the players coming up underneath you and the women and young girls that are going to be looking up to you going forward. Coach Tatum, thank you so much for for taking the time to be on the NPH Hour. And I look forward to seeing all the great things in, in your future as a coach. Thank you. The Tatum family has called Brampton their home for a large portion of their life. Younger sister Alicia played with Tamara at the 2012 Olympics, while their older brother Patrick is the head coach at McMaster University and is a longtime assistant with Canada Basketball's men's program. 
But we're going to stick with the women's side of things for our next guest. Carly Clark is the head coach of the Ryerson women's program and an assistant with the senior women's national team. She has some great insight on the women's game here in Canada that she will share with us next on the NPH Hour here on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back to the NPH Hour here on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I'm your host, Jason Tom. So while our first guest on the show has recently transitioned from playing to coaching, our next guest has been the head coach of the Ryerson Rams women's program for almost a decade. Carly Clark has built a perennial OUA championship contender while also playing a key role in the women's high performance program at Canada Basketball. Currently, she serves as an assistant coach to Lisa Tomitis on the senior women's national team who will be using the upcoming America Cup to help select their team for the upcoming Olympic Games. Clark has seen the rise of women's basketball firsthand, but has also seen the toll COVID has taken on the momentum that the sport had going for it here at home. Carly Clark, the head coach of the Ryerson University Women's Basketball Program, assistant coach for Canada Basketball's senior women's national team, and currently getting prepared to head to Tampa to start up training camp with that same squad. Coach, a crazy year to say the least. From a leadership perspective, what have you learned from this time about being a basketball coach without having access to the players or the actual game itself? Yeah, loaded first question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's probably so much and and so much I don't even know the answer to yet because we're we're still not back at it, right? Um, but I, I think for me during this time, it's been really valuable just to continue to build relationships with our athletes, um, you know, and and shift the focus and and find some new ways to define success over the, the course of the year. And, and I think um, emphasize some more foundational pieces that when you're going right into a competitive environment, um, sometimes don't get the attention that, that they probably should realistically. Um, so I think those pieces and how, how you build that in when you do get back into a competitive environment um, that, that learning still to be discovered, probably. Now, looking at the positives of the year away, what we've seen is the groundswell of support for the WNBA, you know, the vehicle that the sport of women's basketball particularly has become for real social change. So does that give you reason for optimism, looking at the positives coming out of this, that maybe there will be more support, maybe there will be more corporate dollars to step up and, and, and just fans in the stands of more interest in women's basketball at a post-secondary level? I certainly hope so. I mean, it's been incredibly inspirational to see what uh, the women of the WNBA in particular have done over this past year, and they have impacted and inspired change in a multitude of ways. And, um, you know, I, I think that is filtering down and filtering through to to different levels and certainly our level. And, um, you know, those conversations and actions have been an important part of, I think, what our level has been able to do over this past year while we haven't been able to compete on the court. Mm. Um, so hopefully the foundational pieces there will continue to move forward in our sport. And, um, 
you know, women's basketball is growing and more people are starting to invest. So, um, you know, hopefully WNBA continues to, to demonstrate that. I know they'll continue, continue to demonstrate that all summer and, and hopefully we can feed off that momentum. And through all this, there's always going to be change. And there was a big change just down the road from you at the University of Toronto, a player you know very well. And Tamara Tatum is now the head coach taking over for a legend in Michelle Belanger. Um, you know, how cool is it for you who's seen the basketball at all these different levels to now see, you know, a player that you know taking over a head coaching position and showing just generally speaking in the U sports level, kind of the, the transition that is happening at the, at the coaching level? Yeah, well, first off, super excited for, for Tamara to get the opportunity, um, know how committed to coaching she is, know how successful she was as a player. Um, so for her to bring that, um, you know, knowledge, experience, work ethic, all of those pieces to, to youth sports and the OUA, I think is really exciting for our league and, and our, our sport and obviously for the University of Toronto. Um, you know, certainly big shoes to fill with, with Michelle and the, the legend she left. Um, but, you know, if anybody's up for that challenge, Tamara would be be that for sure. And I think it's so encouraging overall of, um, you know, there's been a number of women's basketball, youth sport coach positions hired in the last um, 15 months, essentially. And the majority of those are, are being filled by by women, by young women, by former players. So, um, it's, again, just really encouraging to see that trend. And seeing some of the work that's been, um, you know, still really in its infancy, but committed to developing um, young and turning players into coaches and young women into into coaches is, is paying off. So um, look forward to continuing that investment for sure, too. We talked about the state of the WNBA. We've talked about, you know, youth sports now and, and where, you know, the coaching seems to be going is there something that needs to push women's basketball over the edge here in Canada, or is it just a matter of time? Is it a WNBA franchise? I just know you've seen it at all these different levels. What is your core belief right now that's needed to really push women's basketball to the next level? Yeah, well, I think, you know, over the last 25 years, we've seen what having the Raptors and for a time there, the Grizzlies as well, um, you know, in Canada has done for, for basketball as a whole. Um, so, you know, we've seen the sport grow men's and women's side, but we still don't have the Canadian pro level, um, you know, of our women and, and women be able to, to compete at the highest level in our country. Like I said earlier, they all have to go somewhere else. Um, and there's incredible opportunities for them around the world. But if we could ever whether, you know, lots of talk about WNBA expansion and Toronto being in that conversation. I, I truly believe that would be a, a massive piece to, to profile women's basketball in our country. Um, you know, and I think beyond that, it's, it's finding ways to actually invest in women and invest in women first. And, and that's a big challenge. And, um, you know, I think it forces potentially corporations and um, funders to think a little bit differently. Um, but how do we prioritize um, professional women's basketball and, and those types of stages? You know, we've seen the CEBL on the men's side come up and have great success. And that's continued to be a great platform for our men's players. You know, is there a women's equivalency? Is there a women's, um, 
side of that or something that could stand alone that people can really invest in and, and prioritize. So I think there's a couple different ways, exciting conversations happening in some of these spaces. So I'm optimistic about, about what's to come. Last question, just about the Olympics and talking uh, to so many of these women on, on the team. It's just the one thing that they speak about is the Olympics is the biggest dream for them because when they were younger, they didn't get to see the WNBA, for example. And so the Olympics was everything. So your perspective on that of how much this opportunity means to the women in this program and to you yourself. Yeah, well, um, obviously, first, I'm incredibly excited for for the experience. And it's certainly something that... um, you know, I've dreamt of for a long time and, and these Olympics will look, look different, but they're still happening. And, and, um, for that to turn into realities and is, is just so exciting. And, um, you know, I spoke to it briefly before, but you know, it's, it's always a challenge for us in Canada with, um, our athletes spread around the world because that's where they're playing and, um, professional opportunities are. So um, compared to a lot of the other countries, it's even harder for our team to come together in person in a normal year, let alone a COVID year. Um, you know, so huge credit to Denise and Lisa for being innovative and finding ways for us to, to stay connected virtually, get the most out of the opportunities that we have. And, um, you know, our women's program has, like you said, always been very closely knit. You know, we have some veterans on the team that that have endured a lot to help our program get to this level. So, um, you know, for some of them to have the potential to go to their second or third Olympics um, and compete for a medal, um, to be part of that journey with them uh, is incredibly exciting. And then some young players up and coming for, you know, with their first shot to go to the Olympics. And there's just something unique about representing your country and and, you know, connecting to the, the story that we all have individually and as a group to get to this point, um, you know, I think it's, it's really unique and, and something that we're proud of, again, representing those who came before us, those who are part of the journey now and, and, and the whole country. Coach, whether it's youth sports or Canada basketball, every time you get asked about what it means to you to win games, you always say it's about the joy on the players' faces. You truly do this for others, and I, I think that's uh, such a gift that you give. And, and you know, thank you uh, for taking time here on the NPH Hour today, and, and good luck for the path to the Olympics and getting back on the floor with Ryerson this year. I know you can't wait to get back out there again to see the players be able to really enjoy what this sport gives them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much to you for all you're doing to help promote uh, women's basketball in in our country and beyond. And um, again, we're just really, really proud to represent uh, everybody that's supporting us. Like I mentioned, Coach Clark has been very much involved with the success that the women's high performance program has seen for the last 10 plus years. Back in 2015, as the head coach of the women's cadet national team, Clark led Canada to their first ever gold medal at the age group level with a squad of players that we will see in the mix for the national team for years to come. That team made history, which was matched two years later by the men's side when Canada's U19 squad won gold at the FIBA World Cup. Grant Shepard was a member of that team. He's also a part of the increased talent at the U sports level and getting great experience at the pro level with the CEBL. 
He talks to me about why he chose Canadian post-secondary over the NCAA next on the NPH Hour here on News Talk Saga 960 AM. You are listening to the MPH Hour on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I'm your host, Jason Tom. There was a time when Canadian basketball players thought their only way to play the game at the highest level of post-secondary and then professionally was to go to the U.S. during their high school years. Now, that is certainly not the case as the pathway from high school to the pros can be found right here at home. Grant Shepard was a standout high school player in British Columbia before he went to the prestigious Montverde Academy where he played with two other Canadians, current New York Knicks guard R.J. Barrett and NCAA standout Andrew Nemhart. But Shepard decided to take a different path. He returned home to play at the University of British Columbia despite interest from multiple NCAA programs. It surprised a lot of people. Now a member of the Carlton Ravens and the Niagara River Lions of the CEBL, Shepard is charting a path that I believe many more Canadian players will be taking in the coming years. Grant Shepard just turned 22 years old, but already a veteran in a few different ways and a part of a wave of players that are paving a new path here at home for Canadian basketball players. It's been a tough year for, for basketball in Canada in general. And Grant, what have you been doing to stay ready back home in British Columbia? Um, everything that I can get my mind to uh, create, basically. Um, backyard workouts, running, whatever's getting me to that, that uh, game time playing level, especially everything's got to be game speed, all the timing, all the spacing, everything. So it's just being really creative, backyard stuff. Yeah, back alley, I got my, my hoop set up. It works, I guess. Um, besides that, just finding gym time whenever you can while staying safe. I want to start with the CEBL. I mean, you were you were a part of the first year U Sports draft class for that league, and you know that was groundbreaking to say the least. You were on the Fraser Valley Bandit squad. They struggled out of the gate. I remember talking to you in Guelph and just kind of wondering what you were thinking of the experience. And you know, you were really soaking it all up. Obviously, your home provincial team, but also the opportunity at that point to be around professionals. Yeah, yeah, I think. I was most excited about playing with guys uh, my, my size, like everybody there was big, physical and fast. Um, being my size and, and my athleticism, I didn't always get that, honestly, in in the league. Um, you know, a lot of teams did have very, very good bigs and so that challenged me, but it wasn't consistent. So this was consistent, high level pro training um, every day, the coaches, trainers, uh, therapists, you know, they're all high level. So it was, it was good to finally see that um, as a U sports player still. So it got me ready. Heading into the league's third year, you're playing with the Niagara River Lions alongside your Carleton University teammate, Lloyd Pandy, also yeah. former Raven, Emmanuel Uatua, two guys that really made the most of the experience last year in the bubble. What sort of added incentive does that give you having seen the success of guys last season at the U sports level in the CEBL? Um, that gives me a lot of motivation, I'd say. And uh, same with the other guys, you know, you, you see a lot of the U sport players coming in and actually having an impact 
So that just goes to show the the progress that U Sports is making in, in preparing pros for the next level. Um, like Lloyd is in there and he's he's doing his thing as a first year, which is crazy. Like that guy after, whenever he decides to graduate is is going to be a beast. He's going to be a, a tough guy to handle in the league wherever he goes. So um, yeah, it's really good to to see that guys can do what they are doing and what they're they've been training for in U sports, but translating to a more of a pro setting. We've talked about it a lot, but from a player perspective, when you kind of step back, you see what's happening in the NCAA with obviously the players kind of clawing for their, their opportunity to make some money or, or use their name to be able to get some sponsorship. Meanwhile, here in Canada, we have a pro league that's giving you guys this experience have you been able to step back and just realize from a groundbreaking perspective what that really means? Um, now that you say it, no, but <laughs> no, it, it's, it's crazy to, to step back. We always think that NCAA kind of has, has a big step on, on you sport, obviously because of money, um, you know, fan base, all the hype um, competition, that kind of stuff. But it, yeah, if you can step back and, and be grateful for what we can provide here in Canada, it's, it's crazy because we've we've built it off of off of players and off of coaches that have just had a love for the game and they just want to keep it going forward and they want it to be equal throughout all of you know North America or or the world even like we're all just striving to to be the best. I mentioned off the top about you kind of paving a new path. Take me back to graduating high school and deciding to go to UBC rather than taking one of, you know, multiple interested schools at the D1 level, because at that time, it really did shock a lot of people when you made that decision. Yeah, I get this question a lot. Um, and going back to starting a new path, you know, paving a new way for, for Canadians, um, more, a lot of my mindset was, going to a good school but in Canada showing these younger kids that you can make it to a high level pro not just any pro a high level pro from Canadian universities if you're a a top you know three four school in Canada odds are you have a starting lineup full of pros I was just I was just with Keza and Tommy and Phil Scrub they were they were um you know giving me pointers over in Puerto Rico but they're just they're telling me that, you know, you got to keep your head in the game, keep motivating and, and inspiring others to have the dream in Canada as well. Um, you can make it, you can make it from here. Do you see a shift in thinking right now that maybe young players are realizing they can stay in Canada and, and become a professional basketball player, maybe because some of the opportunity here allows them to train a little bit more. And now we're seeing a shift maybe in the coaching and in the basketball programs, understanding what it, what is needed to get these players to come back home. We need the commitment of past players that have seen all this happen and have been around it, you know, um, starting this new wave of, of taking basketball seriously in Canada yeah, it starts with the players and, and the coaches. Like when I first came to Canada and didn't go to the States, I had a lot of players messaging me, like a lot of younger players. And they're, you know, on Instagram saying like, oh, why'd you choose this? Why'd you choose that? Well, I'll tell them, like, if you work hard enough, you can go to the same, if not better level of pro basketball of where you want to go to from Canada. It's about, it's about, 
putting yourself in the right position. For me, that was getting a lot of touches at, at EBC, getting a lot of experience right off the bat. Um, guys in Division One could unfortunately end up going, you know, to a school where it is, it's a hyped up school or it's a really good school, but you know, maybe they won't play till their third or, or fourth year. And those are crucial. Those are crucial years, the first and second year of development. So um, if I explain that to kids, they'll get, they'll start to understand. They'll say, okay, like it's all up to me. I just have to put myself in a good position. I had another former teammate of yours, Danilo Juricic on here not too mm-hmm. long ago. And we were talking about the U19 World Cup. Oh, yeah. And I mean, what was that experience like for you and that squad? What Danilo said was the tightest team that he had ever been a part of. That is, that is factual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we can, we can hit up any of those guys from the team and, you know, have a nice long conversation. We're all, we're all still brothers, um, even though it might, may seem like, you know, what was it, four years ago now? Um, it might seem like a long time. Connecting with all these guys today, it's like it was yesterday, right? Um, but yeah, that, that tournament was awesome. It was surreal. We just we just got our butts handed to us, you know, like three years in a row in, in semifinals at whatever, like an America Cup, uh, World Championship, you know, qualifier by, by USA. Well, yeah, three times in a row. We would be in a silver medal round or a gold medal round, ending up with silver. So that felt good. That felt good. I'll always remember the Nate Darling lob to you for the alley-oop slam against Team USA. Like I said, it was, yeah, it was three years of frustration and anger. So once I saw that lane and, and Nate just ready to throw me a nice lob, I was, I was, I was giddy for it. And I wanted to put it down hard, make it make a capitalization for that tournament and and for our country. You know, I saw replays of people reacting to it, uh, you know, back home, and everybody's going wild. So it was it was good to finally, you know, get that that cap on the USA. But Canada has bigger plans. Like Olympics is coming up, um, the Victoria qualifying tournament's coming up. Like we have bigger and better things to focus on and we can make that same impact and that same history in, in the men's at the, at the men's level. So when you transfer UBC to Carleton, you know, you're going to have to sit out a year or so, but you're going to be able to train and still kind of, you know, get things underneath your belt. But now having basketball taken away from you for this long, is this the longest you've been away from the game? And, and really like, how long has it been? Can you count on your hand? How many times, you've really been able to kind of get up and down at game speed. I last played in March at the nationals. Then I, you know, I got a chance to play five on five very competitively with um, the senior team in Puerto Rico for this, for the uh, February qualifying tournament. I think I played really well in that, in that practice um, environment. I really got to show what, what I had been working on and they took notice, even though I didn't dress, I did practice. I did, um, play and, and I think that I definitely got to show like what I had approved on and they took notice to keep an eye on me. I've been asking a lot of people this. Do you feel like maybe now, you know, not that you ever did, but you're never going to take this sport for granted ever. No, no. It's brought me too many blessings in my life and to not work hard at it is disrespectful. I'd say is disrespectful to not treat it 
this sport and this these opportunities with the utmost respect. Like this time, even though we're not playing, it's a time to get more mobile, more athletic, stronger, change your habits. I've done a lot of film with my coaches, um, both Taffy and and Dave. And that has helped me tremendously just see the game. So I'm excited to put that to use and, and really work on my game game decisions. Um, so that's one thing that you can you can you can't make an excuse for is you can always watch film and, and improve that side too. How ready are you to be able to get back on the floor with the River Lions? <laughs> I'd I'd, uh, I'd like to say really ready. So we'll see. Um, I've, I definitely have a lot of confidence in myself and, and what's about to come up for myself. So, no, man, I'm excited. Grant Shepard, I feel like you're a vet, but I know you have so much more ahead of you. Thank you for coming on the MPH Hour. Looking forward to watching you succeed for years to come here in Ontario with the River Lions and then with Carlton, man. Good luck the rest of the way and, and can't wait to see what you do with this game. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Thank you. So this show had a coach, a former player turned coach, and a current player that are all involved with our national programs and are now within the ranks of our Canadian post-secondary basketball world. For those that don't know, historically, youth sports in the Canadian college level have been looked at as an inferior product compared to those of their American counterparts. But as you have heard, times have changed. And while the one glaring difference that remains is that those that play post-secondary in America can get their educations fully paid for. That also comes with extremely high expectations and limitations on training that can actually hinder an athlete's ability to reach their goal of playing professionally. So what's still missing here at home at the post-secondary level? The first is exposure, and the easiest way to provide exposure is social media. It's also the quickest way to help our student athletes get themselves out there to build their personal brands. And I'm not talking about a player getting their own shoe or clothing line, but building their brand as a person. You can pick your platform from TikTok to LinkedIn. They all bring value and can make people feel more connected to the student athletes. Heck, why isn't this something that is added to the curriculum? Because it brings me to my next point of exposure, getting butts into the seats which after the pandemic shouldn't be as hard. People are starved for things that we've been without for almost a year and a half. Fan support in university towns has always been good for the major sports when it comes to the student body because they most likely know the players. Let's make sure that everybody in the vicinity knows the players and want to go out and support. And let's focus on young families because kids that see someone in person playing for their local school will be inspired to do the same thing. Or if it's academically, they want to go to that school and then support that team. Now, the easiest target when it comes to exposure is the fact that U Sport and CCAA games are not on national television. But the cost to staff and produce games at that level needed to air on sports television is far too expensive to be able to do it on a consistent basis and divide it up fairly across the nation. And you could never do it for just one sport. It would need to be equal among the different team sports. So live streaming games is an easy answer, but it still costs money. So games will need to go behind a paywall in order to make that happen. Maybe a campaign explaining where that money goes and why it is important for the game at the post-secondary level can help. 
if it's laid out where the $30 annual fee is going and why it's important, maybe that'll be enough to get more people on board. One thing I do have to say, sports television stations can still do highlights of those games off the live stream, and that would be a further way to grow the game. The next big difference is scholarships, which are not readily available for every school in every province in Canada. That's a topic for a different day. But in the end, the answer to all of this is funding. And I think it's time for big business to start giving back to the communities where their employees live or for our government to ask these companies in their province or city to provide annual funds that go directly to the academic and athletic wellness of the kids in the area. This should go for all ages, money for camps for kids so their families don't have to pay, money for students for post-secondary that want to use their academic gifts to give back to the world or give back to their local community. And the same can go for athletes, providing money for them to reach their dreams here in Canada, which would then feed back into the post-secondary institutions that we need to ensure we don't lose our most gifted individuals to other countries. I know I'm oversimplifying it, and I know that this isn't going to happen tomorrow or next year or ever. But in the meantime, we just need more people to understand the value of building something here in Canada with other like-minded individuals who understand that leaving a legacy is all there really is after it's all said and done. If this pandemic, which has kept so many apart for so long, has taught us anything, I hope it's the understanding that being a part of something bigger for future generations is more important than anything any of us can do as individuals. You can find us at NorthPoleHoops.com or NorthPoleHoops on Instagram. I'm Jason Tom saying so long until next week when the NPH Hour returns here on News Talk Saga 960 AM.